Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brand. And this episode, we're discussing SST-143, The Descendants Full-Length, I Don't Want to Grow Up. A great record, and just like in the previous episode, Brant, we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got Bill Stevenson, part two. <clears throat> Brant, part two-age. Right, sorry. Part two-age. <laughs> My bad. And just like in the previous episode, Bill is uh, just a swell guy and really gives us um, a great look back at this period in his life, not just with the Descendants, but also Black Flag and and more. So it's a very cool interview. If if you enjoyed last episode's time with Bill, you're going to love it for this episode as well. Yeah. Brant, it's time for some spielage. Who goes first? You go. Okay. I'll go first. I'm warning you, though, because my spielage is squidage. Happy squid? It's a happy squid uh, themed theme. And here, and get it? Theme? Yeah, I get it. Get it? Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a happy squid themed spiel. Spielage. Okay. So here we, here we go. We're also going to dip our toe into the comp zone. So hang on. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. For Record Store Day, I think a lot of people missed this, and I didn't mention it, but The Hundred Flowers Drawing Fire 12-inch was re-released on Record Store Day. 500 made, so it's hard to get. It was sold out immediately, apparently. It was it was re-released by In The Red Records, but, but you can go to Happy Squid Records right now, and you can order it. It's the original five tracks, plus seven comp and single tracks on there. Two of the tracks, first time ever on vinyl. Love Hundred Flowers. Love the urinals. The Drawing Fire 12 inch is awesome. It, you know, it's got that. It still has that same type of look as those early Happy Squid records, uh, 12 inches, like the Angst 12 inch as well, kind of in that cardboard. Um, it's got that type of look. Oh, I wonder if the packaging was done by Bruce Leisher from Independent Project Records. I don't know. Is is he tied in with In the Red? Oh, he's the guy that has that press that does that that oh, style sweet. of artwork. Yeah, sweet. Maybe it is. I, I I mean I haven't held one physically. All I'm saying is that it it's the same look, the same color, and everything. And uh, I don't know if it's that same type of press, but that'd be sweet. Someone should let us know. The only thing I saw about Record Store Day and all of my feeds was everybody complaining because they didn't get the wipers. Is this real? reissue on jackpot oh yeah 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 <laughs> i i told you they re-released it too you're like oh no it's nothing special it did come with a bonus single that was like a couple extra tracks i don't know what they are but it's it's like a hundred bucks canadian to get that anywhere so forget it forget it i'm sure those tracks are, those tracks are on the cd box set i guarantee it the triple disc probably yeah. i haven't looked into it but that triple disc is the set to buy of all time so there yeah um all right squidage Part twoage, Trotsky Icepick has a new EP out, the acrylic EP. You can get it on download only uh, on Poison Summer Records. Five tracks, continuing the great output from Trotsky and Danny and the Doorknobs with a new Trotsky EP. Um, the Trotsky LP that came out recently, uh, I Haunted Myself, great record. The EP is no different. And now, and now, Brandt, part three of the squidage, we're going into the console. 
Hey, Ryan. What? Can you take me over to the comp zone? Oh, man. All right. Okay, okay, okay. Brant. Remember that comp? Remember? Wharf Rat Tales? Remember? I do. I know where this is going, too. Okay. Continue, though. Remember. Wharf Rat Tales. Great comp on... Uh, Wharf Rat Gramophone Records from way back when, associated with Happy Squid, of course, there is a new one out, Son of Wharf Rat Tales, Lost Notes from Pompeii. It's a re-release of the 1991 cassette-only comp. It's new on CD, Wharf Rat Gramophone Records. Vitas Matari uh, tipped me off to this one. I'm super pumped. It has tracks from Leaving Trains, The Rub, Angst, Universal Congress of, Danny and the Doorknobs, Cruel Frederick, and just for you, Brant, the Dream Syndicate also. Wow. So, uh, Son of Wharf Rat Tales, that's my third spielage for the Squidage-themed spiels. That's all I got. Nice. You're in the squid zone. I am too, man. Where are we going with you? Uh, well, I have to follow up on a recommend, and that's the documentary Murder in the Front Row that you recommended to me. It's good, hey? It's awesome. <laughs> I know, I mean, like, you actually like the music, but it's a good it's a good documentary. Yeah. My favorite part is when they're talking about Paul Bailoff, the first singer for Exodus, and, like, what he would do to posers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What about that artwork on that album? What was what was the name oh, of yeah. that album? Bonded by Blood. Yeah. Yeah. But it I mean if you were if you were at an Exodus show and you were wearing like a rat t-shirt, he would just strip you. Yeah. Where you stood. Cuz you were a poser. <laughs> Cuz you liked rat. Jeez, man. <laughs> There's a clip of him on stage where he's like <laughs> telling the crowd, "Nothing would make me happier than if you broke a, pro- a poser's leg right now." <laughs> it's brutal yeah okay Ryan uh, for my segment get this shit off my phone I'm on the M's do you have a name oh man I forgot all about I forgot that I had to come up with a name give me a second here well you know what's you know what genre of music starts with M metal yeah (laughs) why don't you name it how about we call it man I gotta get these records (laughs) How about this? Man, I hope none of these records are poser bands. How about that one? Okay, sure. Okay. Monolithic. The record's called Black Science. A few different projects under under this name. I'm talking about the Norwegian duo of Stian Westerhaus on guitar and Kenneth Kapstad on drums. All as- associated with the jazz scene over there. Kenneth has played with Motorcycle. He played on that awesome Grand General record I mentioned a while back. They have two albums. This one's from 2009. I need to track down the second. It's insane experiment, experimental instro jazz rock, almost like that band Zoo, hmm. Z-U, at times. I probably read about them in this amazing magazine that's no longer in, in publication called Rockarola. And speaking of Motorcycle, Ryan, I... I picked up their new record, The All Is One. Just came out on Stickman Rune Gramophone. It's the follow-up to last year's The Crucible. 
It's a double LP or double CD. They are hands down the best active prog rock band on the planet right now. They just keep getting better with every record. So hang on a second. Were you getting that shit onto your phone or off your phone? It's, it was on, and I think that one's going to stay on. Okay. Because it's new. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not, re- you're not really following your category, but anyways, keep going. <laughs> Mad Parade, Jigsaw Reality. Do you know Mad Parade? I don't. Okay. Well, they're from LA. Not sure if they've come up on the pod before. I don't know much about their history. Looks like they put out a record last year. This album, Jigsaw Reality, just rules though. Good, catchy punk rock, maybe from like the early social distortion school of punk rock. Okay. Interesting. Great vocals too. Yeah. What label? Uh, geez, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Okay. Nothing like super well known. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maelstrom, Step One, 1990, Tang Records, funk metal that came out of that kind of Faith No More era where a, a lot of bands were doing that. Some bands did it well. Some did not. This one is one that has aged well. Ryan, do you maybe have a little bit of doll withdrawal? I need a solid dose of doll, please. Okay, coming right up. Motherfucker 666, <laughs> 1996 on Get Hip Records. A bit of a super group, Ryan. It's the rhythm section from the Lazy Cowgirls, Jeff Dahl, and Mike Metoff of the Pagans. Oh no way! Yeah, it's really good. It's on, bunch of it's on Get Hip. Yep. Okay. Some, you know, a bunch of originals written by both Mike and Jeff. Yeah, that'd be good. Yep. Uh, a Kinks cover, Celluloid Heroes, a cover of the Stooges song Head On. Nice. It's good. Okay, MD45, The Craving. This is an interesting record. It was a side project for Dave Mustaine. The original 1996 version has Jimmy DeGrasso, who played with Megadeth and Suicidal Tendencies on drums, Kelly Lemieux on bass, who's played with a bunch of different bands, and then the vocalist and also harmonica player is Lee Ving. Whoa. Of Fear. And interestingly, back when Dave Mustaine remastered the record in the early 2000s, he took Lee completely out of the mix and re-recorded all the vocals himself. No way. Both versions are good and worth hearing if you can track them down, which you should be able to. They're pretty cheap to find. Okay, Magic Touch, and that's M-A-G-I-C-K. Heads have got to rock and roll. Brand new record from 2020. The band's from Norway. Lots of bands doing this 80s melodic metal throwback, but few do it well. This one does. So what's what's 80s melodic metal that I would know? Oh, I don't know. Like, like when you say lots of people doing this throwback, what is it throwing back to that I would I would actually recognize? Hmm. Like something like, I don't know, Judas Priest or something like that. Like they sounded like in the 80s. Hmm. Okay. Like like Pyromania. Not like Pyromania. No. No album. Is that a word? No album. Yeah, it is. Is that what you're talking about? Sure, but not that era of Def Leppard. Okay. Yeah, they sucked by that point. High and dry? Yeah, that's pushing it. On through the on night? Through the, on through the night is what you want. Okay, yeah. okay. Just wanted to see how cool you are. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mekong Delta, 
The Principle of Doubt, 1989. Killer German prog metal, totally underrated band, not dissimilar to Voivod. They have a brand new one that I haven't heard yet called Tales of a Future Past. Definitely need to track that down. The Mob, Let the Tribe Increase. Their only studio record from 1983. Early British, like, anarcho-punk, totally classic punk record. I've never understood why this one doesn't get mentioned more frequently. Hmm. The Mob. Okay, here's one that's maybe on the tree. Motor Totemist Guild. This is a band Devin Sarno hit me to on the Cruel Frederick episode. Lynn Johnston played with them. That's on the tree. I did their, yeah, I did their 1984 debut, Dig. The only thing is I don't think Lynn's on this one. It's pretty insane avant-garde rock, not dissimilar to Zoog's Rift at times. Oh, okay, cool. What's yeah. it called? Motor Totemist Guild. Okay. MX80 Sound. Crowd Control, 1981, on the Residence label, Ralph Records. I wouldn't put them on the tree, but we've seen their guitarist, Bruce Anderson, before. He played on Henry Kaiser's Devil in the Drain. You can find their 1977 debut, Heart Attack, on Spotify. If you're looking for some great avant-garde art rock, then check that out. MX80 Sound. Cool. I was just listening to Snakefinger yesterday. Nice. Ra very randomly. <laughs> yep. I like me some snake finger too. Memento Mori, Rhymes of Lunacy, 1993, Swedish Doom. They morphed out of a killer proggy thrash band called Hexenhaus. Both bands feature Mike Weed on guitar, who would go on to Merciful Fate when they reformed, and also King Diamond's band. This is on my radar because it's uh, the band Messiah Marcolin joined after leaving Candlemass. He's my favorite Doom vocalist. He's an underrated metal vocalist, period. His pre-Candlemass doom band, Mercy, is also amazing. Check out their track, Witchburner, and tell me Black Flag weren't listening to Mercy circa 1983-84. Witchburner? Yeah. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Manic Street Preachers, Gold Against the Soul. This is their second record. It's generally, generally considered a disappointment likely because it's sandwiched between two of their most popular records. Now's a good time to reappraise it. They've released a deluxe edition. They've been doing these in the past few years, and they do them quite well. Demos, B-sides, live tracks. And also, frontman James Dean Bradfield has a new solo album that I'm looking forward to hearing. Okay, a band called Mo M-O-E. Oh, yeah. The rec You know it, hey? I do. Yep. yep. It's good. It's heavy. Yeah, Oslo Janus is the record I listened to. Norwegian Noise Rock. Yep. That, the one I did was their debut from 2016. They have a song called David Yao, if that gives you any indication of <laughs> where they're coming from. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I bought that as a package from the We Empty Rooms guy when I was buying a, a bunch of Dead records as well. Okay. Not Grateful Dead, the band Dead. Right. Mud Honey, Padazo de Pastel. Yes. Came out late last year on this Spanish label. It's demos from the Piece of Cake album. Yep. It's good. It is good. All Mud Honey is good. Yep. You I know agree. what I got that was uh, sub poppy demos y? Uh, my buddy Graham and I bought it was the Black Super Suckers uh, sub pop demos LP that came out. That was, that's pretty darn good. 
if you're still into some suckers. I don't know what that is. Check it. I missed that. Okay. Marry My Hope Museum, 1989 debut. There's a second one too. They were talked about extensively in that awesome Steve Gorman book from the Black Crows that came out last year or this year. I can't remember. Uh, they were from Atlanta. Steve was in the band at one point, and Crow's bass, future Crow's bassist Sven Pippian would was also in the band. Marry my hope, and they're really good. What was the guy? What was the guitarist? Um, I think he was lead guitarist on the Crow's War Paint album. Luther. Uh, Luther Dickinson. Yeah, and is he related to the Dickinson that recorded like? Jim? Alex Chilton and and the uh, the replacements album. Um, I think he is. Yeah, I think yeah. he's Jim Dickinson's kid. Yeah. His son. Yeah, right. Okay. But don't but don't quote me on that. I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm just writing it down for quotation purposes right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I saw the Crows on that tour, Luther was like an insane guitarist, man. Yeah, he's awesome. Wow. Does he? You've probably followed him elsewhere, have you? Uh, he's in that band, North Mississippi All Stars. I think. Okay. Which haven't really grabbed me. But again, don't quote me on that either. Okay. I'm trying to remember if he's in Magpie Salute or not. Rich's band. I don't think he is. No, Mark Ford is the guitar player in that band. Hmm. Okay, Mercy Rule. God Protects Fools. No idea where I heard of this band. Really great 90s indie rock. Uh, they have a few others I need to check out. And a new, ba- a new band called Domestica. Mercy Rule. You might like them, Ryan. Okay. Missing Foundation, Go Into Exile, 1992 Restless Records, Throbbing Gristle Style Industrial Project from New York City. Maybe on my radar because of the Swans book, but I'm not sure where I heard of them. Mother Love Bone, Apple. Are you a fan, Ryan? Not really. I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to sound cool or anything, but I really like Malfunction better. Yeah. Uh, I I was hoping to have a gotcha moment. Why? Well, because they're kind of like a 80s hard rock sounding band. No, they're like metal, man, or whatever. Mother Love Bone? Well, yeah, kind of, right? No, I, w- I would say they're more like a flash metal band almost. What is, what's flash metal? Like the kind of shit you don't like. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, like uh, uh, what was the lead singer's name who passed away from heroin? Andrew Wood. Yeah, yeah. Like he was, he was pretty glammed up in mother love bone type right yeah yeah, I, yeah. no i'm not I, I just no okay no you were trying you were trying to trick me into hair metal. i was trying to trick you into my hair metal yeah. no i my i've got pretty good hair metal radar so you you got to watch out okay here's one that isn't hair metal michael monroe from hanoi rocks he released <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> he has a compilation called The Best. It spans his solo career from Hanoi Rock after post Hanoi Rocks, including some tracks from his band Demolition 23 that he had with Steve Stevens, Billy Idol's guitarist. Great primer if you're looking to get into his solo stuff, and he's still kicking ass. He's releasing great records still. Oh, I better pick up the pace here, Ryan. Here's one that's on the tree Monitor, self titled 1981. LA Art Collective, uh, associated with the Meat Puppets. Mark of Cain, Battlesick. Yes. Great Australian noise rock. Yes. They're on my radar because Henry reissued this record on 1361. And they don't sound dissimilar to the Rollins band, actually. Yeah, and John from uh, Helmet was in that band for a few albums, too. So the, they're, yeah. they're, all their output is good. 
Yep. Man-sized action, five-story yes. garage. Yes. Great Minneapolis post-punk. Reflex. On, yep. Terry Katzman and Husker Du's label. Here's one I, I think you're a fan of, Ryan. Milk Cult. Love God. 1992 Boner Records. Steel Pole Bathtub Dudes. Yep. Mind Over Four, Halfway Down, 1993. Proggy Metal from Orange County. They have a few really great albums. I think I discovered them in this awesome book called Mean Deviation, which is on bazillion points. It's written by this guy, Jeff Wagner, um, and it's all about progressive metal. And I bought it because there's chapters on Voivod and Watchtower. (laughs) Mad for the Racket. The Racketeers is the name of the record. Killer kind of super group from uh their one and only record from 2000 it's wayne kramer and brian james from the damned clem burke stuart copeland and duff mckagan wow and all original songs either written by brian or wayne or written together and they trade off on vocals if you've never heard that record you should check it out yeah that sounds promising maybe and didn't doesn't bill mention clem burke in the interview yeah, I think he does actually. Yeah, and isn't Clem Burke isn't like he was a Ramon for a moment, right? Elvis. Yeah, Elvis Ramon. Elvis Ramon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Massacre from Beyond, nice. nineteen ninety one, Earache Records. No, you don't like this massacre, right? What? Which this, which this is the is it? this is the it's the Florida death metal band. No, no, I don't like that one. <laughs> I like I like <laughs> I like the Laswell massacre. Yeah, they're good too. The Matless Boys, self-titled 2010. It's the Boys minus Matt Dangerfield, hence the name The Matless Boys. Oh, cool. It's like the Georgia CP. Yeah, it's awesome. Really great record. It's a lot like some of those other bands I've been mentioning re- recently, like the Crybabies or the last rock and roll band. Martyr, Warp Zone, 2000. It's more prog metal. I'm listening to a lot of prog metal this this week it's chewy the guy that replaced piggy in voivod mm. it's his band metal church self-titled debut from 1984 love metal church they are the best the second best band from seattle next to of course Queensrÿche. <laughs> oh, so good mile marker anesthetic no what you want me to react to mile marker yeah i know i know the band okay 2001 jade tree records yeah great postcard hardcore from the chapel hill scene i thought you would be all over that oh well i'm 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 on it maybe not all over it i like me some mile marker but it's been a while it's a good reminder i'll check it out again okay and finally ryan ministry in case you didn't feel like showing up this is one of my go-to ministry records because i had it back in the day it's the live live one with the classic lineup chris Connolly and paul barker we need a new ministry ministry record now more than ever <laughs> yeah no kidding hey yeah. there'd be some great material on it yeah. are they still a like a ongoing unit yep hmm. i mean it's it's al, al yeah Jorgensen, it's but. just is it just him with hired guns type thing or are there any mainstays maybe maybe i'm not sure what uh tommy victor's status is in the band oh is that the guy from prong yeah whatever yeah i think he might have been in the band when i saw danzig not too long ago oh yeah maybe yeah lots yeah. of pinched harmonics lots. oh yeah 
Is that I him? don't think he's still in ministry because Prong's still going, so. Yeah, lots of pinched harmonics. Like, it was insane. Well, it's Danzig, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, later Danzig. I yeah. get, well, actually, you know what? John Christ played some pinched harmonics, but they were tasty. <laughs> Not like Zach Wilde. No way. Gross. Yeah, lay off already. <laughs> oh, Brent, are you ready for some good, clean fun? Some GCF? Yeah, I am, man. Okay, man. History lesson, part one. All right, Brent. It's uh, Descendants. I don't want to grow up. A uh, you know a classic Descendants record, to be sure. We left off though in the last episode with Milo goes to college, and and that's what happened. Milo went to college. Um, the Descendants then, uh, and and some of this. Bill goes over in the interview, but just to lay some groundwork for the interview, after Milo left, the Descendants still kind of kept uh, putting away there with Ray Cooper, who came on vocals. Um, Frank leaves as well. Eventually, we'll talk about this near the end here, um, Tony ends up leaving and we get Doug Carrion, and Bill talks about that in the interview as well. But Tony also plays on... Um, and I think like I tried to find info on this, uh, but it seems like the Ascendants played one show, maybe. Um, I'm not sure if that's more of a rumor um, than anything. But anyways, Milo's gone. The Descendants are still kind of loosely, you know, trying to make something happen. Tony's uh, maybe playing with the Ascendants here, but that's because Bill is gone. Bill joins Black Flag in early 83. And we've covered Black Flag's output on the show. And just as a quick overview, um, as you'll recall, Bill is first. And if we go, you know, in, in catalog order on SST 12, the TV Party 7-inch, uh, Bill's on two of those tracks, I Gotta Run and My, My Rules. Bill is then on SST 23, My War, SST 26, The Family Man record, SST 29, Slip It In, also SST 30, the Live 84 tape, um, which was uh, subsequently released on CD. Different mix on uh, cassette and CD, don't forget. you got to get both. Um, SST 35, the Loose Nut LP, and that's where Milo was doing some backing vocals, and we'll get, we'll get to that in a moment here. SST 37, the Process of Weeding Out. And then SST 45, the In My Head LP. And all told, by my count, that is eight Black Flag releases with Bill on it. Um, they weren't all released while Bill was in the band in Black Flag from 83 um, and, and for a few years thereafter. But a huge recorded uh, component of Black Flag with Bill in the band. It's funny, too. Like You'll hear it in the interview Bill has what I would call uh, almost like black flag survivor's guilt in the same way that Henry does, where they they just they refuse to accept that the era when Henry and Bill were in the band was an amazing era of black flag. They're like, all you need is the first four years, which, as our listeners will know, uh, Brant and I disagree with. But that's kind of like Bill was active trying to do the sentence in black flag, but he had to kind of let descendants go because black flag was just so so much touring so much recording during this period after milo left the descendants hey oh yeah for sure yep 
Yeah, uh, I have a, I did a little quick timeline recap for the Black Flag era here. So Black Flag was on their 1981 UK tour and Robo gets detained in the UK due to an expired visa. The show in Leeds ends up being his last show with Black Flag. When the band gets to the States, they fly Bill out to play the shows back to LA with them. Here's, a, here's from Get in the Van, 122381 in New York City. Henry, we were in the shits because we had no drummer. We called Bill from the Descendants and asked him to fly in and play. He knew all the songs well enough. He flew right in and the tour resumed. It was a great gig. The tension of seeing if we could pull it off only added to the excitement. Bill played great. Then 12-31-81, again from Get in the Van, they're, they're back in LA, pulled into town just in time for a show at the Olympia Auditorium. Hours after the gig, I was on the floor of SST trying to sleep. I was glad it was over, but when I found out that Bill had a Descendants gig up in San Francisco the next night, I remember feeling jealous that he was getting to play and I wasn't. At some point in there, he records the B-side of the TV Party single, as you mentioned. Three months later, in March of 82, Emil Johnson joins as drummer. July of 82, he's out, and they recruit Chuck Biscuits, who's in the band for the rest of the year. He's gone sometime in December of 82, and by January of 83, Bill is the new full-time drummer of Black Flag. Yep. Here's from Spray Paint the Walls, the awesome Stevie Chick book. And this is about, fast forward to when Bill's leaving the band in April of 85. Greg and I weren't getting, this is Bill, Greg and I weren't getting along and things were getting pretty ugly. I just felt like I wasn't really focused, so Greg and I talked and he was just as glad for me to go as I was to go. It was definitely mutual. Greg and I talked about the fact that in Black Flag I was just the drummer and secretly I wanted to be more than just that. So it was mutual, but at the time, it was difficult. And here's Kira from the same book. I think one of Greg's issues with Bill was that he was beginning to want to do some more Descendant stuff on the side. Maybe he thought it would detract from Black Flag somehow. Hmm. And then in Get in the Van, there's an entry that indicates that April 27th, 85 was the day Bill quit the band. So... A little confusing. If he quit on April 27th, this is listed as being recorded in April of 85. He apparently quit at the end of April. So who knows how this exactly played out? Maybe uh, Bill was working up those uh, Descendants songs. You know, they were they were kind of working them up unplugged, right? In, during yeah. the, the two weeks. they Like they learned them and recorded them that same two weeks in April. Yeah. Well... I had the same thought and I looked up his last show and it was April 20th of that year at the anti-club with Swa and Sacron Trust. It was a black flag instrumental show, but I mean, this was 35 years ago. So, so who knows? I, I'm thinking he was re recording this record while he was technically still in black flag. They hardly played any shows in 85 prior to the 85 tour when Anthony Martinez came in dr on drums. Right. They, they only played seven shows from January to April of that year, all local and all instrumental. Hmm. Yeah. So as mentioned, and uh, it's also covered in the filmage documentary as well. Milo comes in to do some backing vocals on the loose nut LP 
Bill pulls him aside and says, hey, I've got some other songs, uh, but they're not Black Flag songs. They are probably Descendants songs. Sings him Silly Girl and they're like, well, maybe we should maybe we should do that. Maybe we should do these songs. And in uh, April of 85, they learned and recorded this record. They didn't have the Black Flag prac pad anymore. And so they had to learn this uh, record kind of unplugged. And also it's it's covered in the Filmage documentary. There's a, a few comments in there about how they had to learn these songs and work them up so quick they maybe weren't fully baked by the time they were recorded. But I still think it, it holds up, um, myself oh, yeah. anyways. It was it was uh, recorded at the at Music Lab in Hollywood, produced by Bill Stevenson and Dave David Tarling again, engineered by David Tarling. It was originally released on New Alliance Records as New Alliance Records number twenty six. And again, it w- this was re-released on SST because uh, Greg bought New Alliance from Mike and D. Boone in 87. When it was time to tour, uh, Bill was very much wanted to do what he learned in Black Flag. He says in Filmage how he wanted to spread his experience laterally to the Descendants and go out and tour. If they're going to put all this effort behind a record, they're that good of a band. It would be just a waste to... Uh, record this record, play locally, and not take advantage of the opportunity to tour. When it comes time to tour, Tony's out, though. He decides that he doesn't uh, or can't tour. He wants to focus on his uh, career. And so they have to get uh, Doug Carrion, who went to Miracosta High School with Bill and Milo as well. He he starts working up the songs, and as soon as school is, is done, Doug is in, and they uh, they take right off. So it's Doug, Ray Cooper... Bill and Milo, they do um, several tours between April 85 and March 86. It's it's hard to tell how many shows they did. It seems like it was three, maybe four tours around 80 shows all told. But they basically covered the whole U.S. Uh, as this tour went on almost a year, basically traveling in a in an old Ford Econoline van and really just taking advantage of, there was a lot of hype also that uh, was, was kind of building after Milo goes to college. And when they came out with this record, which was a huge progression for them really. Um, and, you know, Bill talks about the production on this record and I get it that it kind of sounds dated and we'll go through it in the tracks, but it totally has, and I don't want to grow up sound to me and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I'm going to hit you with a couple of spiels real quick, too. Um, one from The Spaceman, and then one again from Andrew Earls, who I really think summarized this record well, just like he did on Milo. Does that sound good? Yep. Okay. I Don't Want to Grow Up from the SST catalog. And again, they're picking this up as a re-release. And The Spaceman says, Back from the normal world, the descendants emphatically say no to adulthood. The clockwork pop masterpiece on this coffee-fueled album will stop you from growing up too. Includes My World, Silly Girl, Good Good Things, and 11 more bonus tunes. Here's what Andrew Earle said, though, in his excellent book, Gimme Indie Rock. Milo Ackerman did indeed go to college following the release of The Descendants' full-length 
1982. Upon his return, the band made what would be the high point of its 80s work. I'm not so sure about that, but original guitarist, co-founder Frank Nevetta burned all of his gear and took off for Oregon during the band's hiatus from 83 to 85. And I think Frank became like a full-time fisherman. Hmm. Um, I, I read that somewhere. A break also facilitated by drummer Bill Stevenson's obligations to Black Flag. Nevetta, who is only credited on one track here, the 35-second hardcore carryover Rockstar, was replaced by Ray Cooper, who had been the band's replacement vocalist in the year following Ackerman's departure to college. Cooper and founding bassist Tony Lombardo had, had performed on and off as the Ascendants during the two years without Ackerman or Stevenson. And again, like, I find all sorts of different information. Did they actually play? How many shows? I don't know. Um Leading up to the recording and release of this floodgate opening, pop core meets power pop classic. It should be noted that much of the ageless and radiant pop acuity of I Don't Want to Grow Up comes from drummer-producer Stevenson's flair for songwriting. Can't Go Back, Silly Girl, Christmas Vacation, Good Good Things, and the somewhat darker but no less hooky closer ace are all credited to Stevenson. Two other sugary confections, In Love This Way and The Excellent My World, were contributed by Ackerman. The Black Flag-influenced instrumental theme and the catchy but lyrically disturbing pervert come courtesy of Lombardo, who left the band right after recording the album because of his full-time job with the U.S. Postal Service. Five of the aforementioned gems make for what might be the most consistently enjoyable side B, of any full-length American punk rock or hardcore album released during the 1980s. I Don't Want to Grow Up is assuredly one of this book's Desert Island shortlist inclusions. And that's out of 500 titles in this book, too. And so when I read that, I was like, okay, nailed it again. But another thing came to my mind is Andrew's right. That side B on this record is... Oh, it's, it's, it's untouchable. It's untouchable and... What other side B did Stevenson play on that's untouchable? Yeah. Oh, for sure. My war. For sure, there's a sequencing thing going on here, yeah. I would say. Um, I I would put enjoy over this one, but that's just a matter of, you know, the fact that I had enjoy when I was young, and it's kind of my go-to Descendants record. But... Is it blasphemy, Ryan, that I like this record better than Milo Goes to College? I wouldn't say so. This has just as good as songs on it for me, for my money, for sure. I think I like Milo better than this one. And that's, that's it just is what it is. It's because I got two things at once. Um, but this record has got arguably two of my most favorite Descendant songs and catchier songs than anything on Milo for my money. Silly Girl and Good Good Things are... Top 10 descendants for me of all time. Yeah. What do you say? Should we throw it over to Bill? Let's do it. So Milo goes off to San Diego, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. And he he did come back to visit, and you guys played some shows when he was back in town. Yeah. I, that period of time is so blurry for me because then I was starting to get involved with Black Flag, and it was, it was all such a blur, and I also was holding down between 
18 and 21 units at college while being in two bands. Oh, wow. One of which was touring. <laughs> and so so I, I, I don't hardly remember how all that went. But I, I know that the long and short of it is that between Milo being in San Diego and me being either part-time or full-time in Black Flag, that kind of put the descendants on more or less of a hiatus for a couple of years. Right. You kind of were part-time in Black Flag at first, right? Maybe filling in a little bit here and there? Well, at first time, I just filled in when when Robo would get deported to Colombia. Right. Um, Robo's a Colombian citizen. And he, he never, despite us telling him numerous times to get his visa stuff in order, you know, or a green card or whatever, he never got it together. So whenever those guys would leave the country, he'd get stopped and they'd send him back to Colombia. And then what we had to do, it was usually Greg, because somehow Greg had a, he had a ability to do really long drives just with only stopping for gas, like every six, seven hours. He had a, I don't know, I guess maybe it was meditative for him or something. So he'd, Robo somehow could get a, a boat to, Cabo San Lucas and then we drive down to Cabo San Lucas and pick Robo up and bring him over the Mexican border but but you know to be doing that every time they go to Canada or every time they go to Europe or England that gets to be quite a hassle and I quite frankly I think that was the real reason why Greg and Chuck at some point had just said we don't still want to keep doing this and so they were began to pressure me to be in the band full time. And, and then they had various drummers temporary. They had, uh, Chuck biscuits for a couple, few months. Right. They had Emil, Emil from twisted roots and the uh, Oziers for, for a couple of months. And then I would fill in, in between those guys leaving and do shows. And at a certain point, and again, you got to remember, we were all together, all clustered together. We were all, you know, Greg's parents' house is seriously 60 yards from my house. Like, we were all wow. together, okay? Right. Yeah. And so at a certain point, it just seemed like I just needed to join Black Flag, like, to, to, to solve the problem, kind of, <laughs> you know? Did because they... I never wanted there to be a Black Flag without Robo. Robo's, you know, one of my all-time favorite drummers. Right. And in my opinion, Robo is the only drummer for Black Flag. He's the only one that matters. And... So I didn't want to replace Robo, but in a world where Greg and Chuck just decided they didn't want to deal with it anymore, you know, I said, okay, well, I'll do it, and I'll try to do my best to to do Robo proud. <laughs> Was that intimidating for you, going into into Black Flag and replacing one of your heroes? It, You know, I was young. It was intimidating at first, but then at first it was easier because I was – playing Robo's parts, and then even that first little 7-inch we recorded, it still sounds like real Black Flag. You know, uh, I've Got to Run and My Rules. Yep. The TV party, B-side. That's still, that's yeah. Still, yeah, but that's a meal plan on that. That's that's different. I mean, but I mean, i got to run in My Rules. That still sounds like real Black Flag. Yeah, okay? it, sound, it sounds like damaged, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Okay, yeah. but, then, but then once we started writing new, new material one time greg told me he said hey hey bill can you can you not do that weird thing that robo does 
And, you know, which at that point, like uh, we all called that thing, we called it the robo, <laughs> which is the sets of the sets of three hi-hats, which he came by that very naturally because it's really a cumbia. Um, that's a cumbia rhythm, the sets of three hi-hats. And so... Like what song would, would he do that? Every, every Black Flag song, it's <laughs> sets of three hi-hats. Okay. I mean, every single one of them with maybe rare exception. I mean, the only exception to that would be uh, Damaged One and Life of Pain. Okay. And What I See. Every other song. Not, I mean, not the Nervous Breakdown single, because that's Migdal. Right. You know, that, that's a little bit of a different feel. That's not Robo. But every song on Jell, you know, every song, Jealous Again, Revenge, why minority no values depression all all of them that's the robo it's those sets of three hi-hats so it's like it's like okay one two three four one two three you listen you'll hear it you'll hear what i mean right and and so greg at some point told me hey bill can you can you not do that he said not do that weird thing that robo does <laughs> and and i'm i i'm in my head i'm thinking Oh, you mean one of the like three things that makes this band sound how it sounds? Right. Yeah. What about it? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Well, if you could not do that anymore, so you notice at that point, I switched to playing like kind of a normal rock and roll beat, and at that point, to me, the band is ruined. Hmm. Not because Robo wasn't in it, but because Greg didn't want me to to play in that spirit. So then things kind of changed, but then some other things changed for the better because we started doing kind of more adventurous stuff, jazzy stuff, swinging man and my ghetto and things. And those are fun or the real slow dirgy stuff. Those are fun. But we kind of lost that main groove of black flag that I loved so much. That's what's been so fun about doing these flag shows is to get to play those songs the real way, how they go for real. Right. Great. And also, yeah. You come into the band at a weird time. The lineups in flux, and the unicorn thing is, is just starting to happen. Yeah, it would have helped if we had put an album out, in between Damage and My War that maybe showed, transitional stuff. Yeah. You know, before the Robo Beat went the way of the Buffalo. Was it hard for you, for example, like working up the My War material or recording the album, without a bass player? Well, when we were working up my ward, we worked up most of it when Chuck was still in the band. Right. I'd say 90% of it was worked up when Chuck was still in the band, 80%, as well as several songs on Slip It In. But then when when Chuck left, Greg was playing bass. So it was just me, me on drums and Greg on bass. I mean, that's how we would practice. I wasn't sure if Greg was trying to get, you know, at practice, for example, was having you play along with the guitar? No, it was usually with... Ba- yeah, well, at first it was with Chuck. Right. When you tracked my war, did he play bass live with you? Do you remember? Yeah. 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 He played bass live with me. So you record a number of amazing albums, in, in my opinion, and many other people's opinion, uh, with Black Flag. Do you have a favorite Black Flag album that you're on? Oh, that I'm on... Uh... Hmm. Well, I guess my war and then probably uh actually 
in my head <laughs> yeah. is all I know that's everyone's worst hated one. But I'd say my war and in my head are, are I mean, if I had to, but I would say, no, just get get the first four years and you're done. Uh, I think in my head has aged well. Lots of people really like that record. Well, it to me, it's it's as close as we got to trying to actually progress the music in some way without just sounding like fools. You know, you know, in my head has more in common with say like an all album, like maybe All Roy Saves right. or something. Yep. Which is cool. I mean, to where it sounds like hey, we're we're trying to aspire to more than what we inherited or aspire to more than what we did last year, you know, this sort of thing. I see, yeah. You we start seeing some light writing credits for you on some of those later records too, like the amazing track Now She's Black. Do you remember writing that song? Yeah, I do. Um I didn't, you know, I didn't write much for Black Flag, but uh, that song seemed like it would work pretty well, uh, w you know, with Henry singing it. Yeah, uh, I think maybe we were, me and Tony and Ray were practicing that one, I think, because Frank was gone by then. But it, but I don't think it had lyrics when we were practicing it. But so, but so, but, but then when I wrote the lyrics for it, because something bad happened to me, and then... And then I thought, oh, I bet Henry could sing the hell out of this because it's so sad. It's so horrible, you know. Right. Yeah, that was fun. And then and then I wrote lyrics for one of Kira's musics. Kira wrote a cool music, and I wrote that the out of this world thing. That's that. Yeah, and that's that's it. That's all I wrote for Black Flag. Right. Not much. Neither of them are any police story. That's for sure. <laughs> Tell me about these kind of legendary Black Flag practice sessions they've been it's been exaggerated we would practice almost every day i mean you there was a period there was like a there's like a two-year period where we would practice almost every day and i and i mean the old band did that too i think they started practicing every day around the time of uh when six pack was recorded and so that, you know, I started practicing almost every day. Uh, back then with Robo, those rehearsals were shorter, you know, maybe let's say an hour because this, the songs are so short. You just, you kind of blast through them and that, you know, blast through them and then hit the little rigged up shower we had made in the basement. That was, <laughs> you could barely fit in like an RV shower. Right. Uh, but then when the song lists got longer because we had more songs, then, okay, yeah, then we were still practicing most days. It was like we just keep going until somebody was too sore. Or got, but So those practices then became maybe more like we would do two, two one-hour sessions of it, you know. Or maybe if we were writing new songs and it was – then maybe it would be three one-hour sessions, you know, so play for an hour – hang out for a half hour, play for another hour, hang out for, yeah. But this thing of like six hour practices, maybe that's how much time we were at the practice room hanging out, right. but it, they, it, it wasn't, you know, there, it wasn't six hours of playing. It wasn't a mar total marathon. No, no, I mean, it was still a lot of hard work because right. to play at that intensity level is very difficult. Yeah. So while you're recording the, the album Loose Nut, is it around this time that you show the song Silly Girl to Milo? Um, 
I don't remember. I feel like it was a little bit after that. It was like, uh, okay, so Loose Nut and In My Head were recorded all at the same time. Right. Except I think the vocals were divided up. Like one album's worth of vocals was done kind of in one time period, and then the other album's worth of vocals was done at another time period. Okay. So... So, but so let's just say shortly after Loose Nut was recorded, yeah, I I, I uh, wanted to do a um, Descendants album because we all had songs, and I think we missed we missed playing with each other, and I also probably had come to the conclusion that that uh, Good Good Things or Silly Girl or Ace weren't going to be Black Flag songs, though uh, though we did. Play each of them in practice instrumentally before they had uh, lyrics with Black Flag. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. We played, we played them. We played Ace and Silly Girl. I don't remember playing Good Good Things, but they didn't have lyrics or they didn't have completed lyrics. So I thought, well, maybe we'll see how this music sounds, and then maybe we could, we could, um, th- they could be. But that 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 was. To me, that was, you know, I, I, re- I recognized that as a, as a non-starter, you know, and then I realized, okay, this, or I didn't realize, I, it reinforced the idea that, okay, Black Flag is not my band, you know? Right. And Descendants is my band. I mean, it's mine and it's Tony's and it's Frank's and it's Milo's and it's Ray's, you know? And so, yeah, then we started, we didn't have a, we didn't have a, a practice room to start recording grow up. So we were doing it at Ray's at Ray's house and Ray's like study in his parents' house. <laughs> and we were just practicing. And so I was back to the pots and pans. I was just playing on books. Okay. Playing my hand with my hand on notebook. Uh, and, and, you know, they were playing the songs on acoustic guitar and we were just singing them in the, into the open air. And that's how we practiced for grow up. It's kind of underdeveloped in terms of like, there's not as many rad bass runs and rad drum parts because we just we didn't have a practice room because um, I had I had kind of moved on from Black Flag and I you know I I kind of packed up my things and left and you know then they were using their practice room with their new guy Anthony right so so we just yeah we just practiced it without without a practice room and then and then we recorded it was that difficult for you leaving Black Flag. It, it seemed like it happened kind of on the eve of a tour as well. Uh, I was pretty young, but there were there were um, there were things about it that were making me wish that I wasn't there. Yeah, but I was trying to hide it and pretend pretend like I wished I was there because I I didn't want to let the band down. Right. But what I think is they could tell that because of these things that I actually didn't want to be there. And so it was very, it was very mutual in that way. Um, at, at one hand, they were kind of pressuring me to leave, but in the other hand, they were letting me escape from this kind of uncomfortable situation that I had been put in. Okay. So, so uh, it was good, you know, at the time it was sad and, you know, I shed a few tears and all that, but in the long run it was, so great for me looking back on it i you know i it's i think it was a great time to get out <laughs> yeah 
Frank Nevada left the band while you were, or he moved away, I guess, while you were in Black Flag, and Ray came into the band. How did how did Ray get involved? Is he somebody you knew already? Well, Ray Ray came into the band before Frank quit. Oh, right. So okay. we actually played shows with Ray singing. Ray originally got in the band to sing, and he sung a few shows for us. In fact, he sung a couple really big shows. <laughs> just as a, um, just as a singer. Just as a singer, yeah. yeah. But then around the time Frank left and around the time Milo kind of was available again for whatever reason, uh, between, high, between college and grad school, I guess is what we're talking about there. Yep. Um, then, so then Ray switched to guitar, which is what he really wanted to do anyway. Now that I know Ray so well, he was much too shy to be a singer. Do you think your, your kind of thought was that you would carry on the band with Ray as a vocalist at first? Yes. Yeah. Or if not Ray, somebody, I mean, you, you know, my history, I don't, I don't stop easily. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you see any of these shows? If this is an actual thing that Ray and Tony performed together as the ascendants? I didn't, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many of those there were, if, if there were shows or if it was more like just parties. I'm not really sure how that worked, but I know that, you know, it's a very good friend of mine, Greg Cameron, who also he later ended up playing in SWA. Right. Yep. And he's he's a great, great drummer. And he did such a good job that, you know, when I kind of resurfaced for Grow Up, I used I used a few of his arrangements of drums because I just thought they were great. Like his drum arrangement on theme. I mean, I know that theme is just classic bill stevenson there's no question about that i mean i'm greg was he was obviously influenced by me 100 percent. that's not what i mean but i mean the exact details of the arrangement on that song i copied his arrangement even though it was him playing in my style i didn't try to reinvent the wheel i loved what he was playing and so i just kept it how he wrote it and i think the same thing with the song descendants right because this descendants was written during the period of my absence. And I think I just, when I heard what Greg, what little Greg had done for it, I just said, Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to play it just the way, just the way Greg did. Um, Cause it was cool. So this was recorded in April of 85. So this would have been very quickly after you left black flag. I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Yes. Like just weeks, weeks. Wow. And it was recorded at Music Lab in Hollywood, again, same place as the Fat EP, but this time with Dave Tarling, who engineered some of the later Black Flags records, like Loose Nut in My Head, Process of Weeding Out. Okay, but you're missing the most important part. He engineered Nervous Breakdown. Dave Tarling did, yeah. Yeah. Who is Dave Tarling? Tell me about him. Um, I've not spoken to him since Grow Up. Uh, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here but so here's what i know about dave tarling he he worked with us on loose nut and on in my head and then i just told him hey will you do this descendant thing for me too and yeah uh but i but during the sessions i was picking him up you know we were all driving up to hollywood together right from he lived in carson so you know south bay and he was he was drinking like on the drive up and then 
during the sessions and he started doing it more and more and and um to where this is really how i started engineering (laughs) (laughs) he he got he passed out in the middle of one of the sessions so i was in the control room because maybe we were doing guitar overdubs or maybe it was bass or vocals right all right he passed out so i literally wheeled his chair out of the way and wheeled my chair in front of the console and there you have it an engineer is born but i had no idea what i was doing no idea what i was doing and what i later learned from dave he told me he confided in me that he had been very recently been made aware of of a very serious i think terminal illness oh wow from his from his doctor and so he was not handling that bad news very well you know cuz i had never known him to be unprofessional or anything like that so this was a side of him i had never seen and so oh i guess what i'm saying is i honestly don't know whether he's alive or or not i see okay that would be that would be something to 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 find out yeah uh but so yeah that's and grow ups all those records sound weird loose nut in my head grow up they all they're all they all fell victim to that what was popular at the time with all that gated gated reverb on non-linear reverb on the snare drum and all the effects of flanger and chorus on the guitars and all that stuff so those records those records just really those are our, all our worst sounding ones from a strictly a sonic perspective right the record opens with the song descendants you mentioned that goes back to while you were away in black flag great opener yeah for they a wrote it record. like to me they wrote it to me <laughs> Just because you've gone away, here's the message from me and Ray. Right. So it's Tony and Ray writing it, you know, kind of to me or about me. Perfect song for a comeback record. Opening song for a comeback yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah. Can't Go Back is one of yours. It's one of those, I I call it a Lost Descendants classic, like something that could have gone on summary but didn't. Do you remember writing that song? Yeah, yeah. That Those are all... All those are all part of the same problem I had. Um, good, good thing, silly girl, can't go back. Now she's black, out of this world. Those are all, they're all about the exact same part of my life. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned the song Theme, which kicks off a long line of amazing descendants and in all instrumental songs. I've always wanted to know about the all instrumental record that I've heard about. Does it exist? Well, we did demos for it, and I think we just weren't, it just didn't seem like it was a fun exploration, and there's a lot of strange time signatures and uh, improvising and stuff, but we just didn't feel like it was a complete thought, and uh, then then I think life kind of got in the way. Then my father became ill, and I had to take care of him, and and then we all had kids and it, it cuz the amount of we were putting in a lot of practice for that like crazy amount we were trying to be like we were trying to be you know like Thelonious monk right. meets fear or something and i we just we never quite finished the thought and then we all had babies little newborn babies and then i had to take care of my father and then then when we were still maybe could have but you know then i got a brain tumor right um and so we just never, we never completed that thought. There's some other um, 
A couple really interesting songs on here. Milo has a stellar song, In Love This Way. And you and Milo have a co-write, Christmas Vacation. Both of those songs remind me of a band I've heard you and Milo talk about many, many times in interviews and stuff. And that's The Last, who you also played with. Is that a fair comparison to you, comparing those songs to The Last? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, The Last was our single biggest influence. It it can be argued that Frank chose the name The Descendants, meaning The Descendants of The Last. Hmm. But... um because it was like the little brothers of the last, right? you know, Frank and Dave and whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, we had influence from the last going back all the way. I mean, Statue of Liberty is almost exactly like Bombing of London. I mean, all the way back. Your song, Good, Good Things, it sounds like you were talking about the production. It almost sounds like that song in particular has a different mix to some of the other, maybe the other tracks on the album. Like maybe there's a an additional effect on the drums or, or the drums are multi-tracked or something. Do you recall anything? No, it's just got that stupid gated reverb and like a lot of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. For the touring for this record, Tony leaves the band and Doug comes in at this point. Do you remember how that happened? That transition? Well, that was, that was sad and frustrating. Tony, Somewhere along the line, I'm going to say maybe 83, Tony committed to becoming a mailman. Right. A postal carrier. And so that meant we couldn't be a touring band. I mean, not that we were anyway, but I certainly wanted us to be one. And I had gotten, the thing is, I had tasted blood because I had done all that touring with Black Flag. Um, and I, I was like, I want to, I want to tour. I don't, you know, I don't want it, this to just be a thing where we only play. We just play in L.A. every once in a while. We had managed to go up and play one show in San Francisco. We had managed that, and we had managed to go to Phoenix one weekend too. But that was going to be that was going to be the end of it right there. And I, I, I wanted more than that, so I had to make the difficult and arguably regrettable decision of, you know, excluding Tony. So that I could go on tour. But of course, then Doug showed up and we, me and Doug and Ray, oh man, we had so much fun. <laughs> I can't even tell you how much fun we had. We were like, we were like three peas in a pod. I mean, really, really were. We'd all sleep in the same bunk together in our little bunk in the practice room and watch TV. <laughs> we were like, we were so happy and just, we were like all in love with each other. Right. And Milo was, <laughs> was down in school but he'd show up i don't know how he worked it out we did tours like in between his thing or something i don't really remember how it worked out right but so it was me and doug and ray living in the practice room and then milo was kind of we just throw him on top of it you know boy we had so much fun in that lineup they really those guys they really cheered up my day they really brought me out of <laughs> they brought me out of my bad place i had been in personally you right. know they brought me right out of it doug doug is such a fun guy to hang out with and ray is so fun to hang out with. we just three peas in a pot i'm telling you peas and carrots <laughs> let's talk about that 85 tour you played some interesting shows you played with the bad yodelers carl's band oh in salt lake yeah you're the so the problem with me with that stuff is i have always and i've done this since i was 18 years old 
I always take a nap right after sound check. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I wake I wake up an hour before we're going to play and just start pounding coffee. Right. So I never see who we play with. I see. I'm in good company there because I ended up in a conversation with Clem Burke from Blondie. Right. And he does the same thing. He take he takes a total just nap. I mean, he all the lights are off, sleep right after sound check, and then he wakes up like an hour before they play. So it's cool. It's cool. I'm in good company. <laughs> do you have what do you remember about that '85 tour? Does anything stand out to you? Oh, uh, I remember how I remember how varied it was. Like we played some really big, nice shows. And then we played a lot of shows where there was literally no one there except for like the opening band's girlfriends. Right. So that's what I remember. <laughs> and also just back then, those 85, 86 tours, just the level of the level of makeshift venue was incredible. Some of the places we'd play, like these just we'd play in a bookstore, we'd play in somebody's garage, we'd play <laughs> out in some barn on a farm or some old burned out industrial building with rats just anything with four walls would could be called a venue and but the thing is i really think that is one of the best things about punk rock was that in a way it removed the 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 pomp and circumstance of the you know rock venue yeah and it was like no we're gonna set up in these guys kitchen and play and it's like, just wait, you can't do that. And it's like, yeah, but no, we can. And we're gonna. <laughs> Did the record get good reviews? It's obviously considered a classic now. Was it an instant classic? Well, we all, we always sold out from whatever we did before. Well, my little the college is always sold out compared to the fatty P, which is more raw and more aggressive. I don't want to grow up. Oh, well, we sold out because it's it, because my goes to college was, or I don't want to grow up. We sold out because it was not as raw and aggressive as Milo goes to college. You know, the, whatever. You know how people always liked the thing before, right? Even, it, yeah. Plus, I don't know. For punk rock starting out as such a like basically a liberal art movement, it sure got conservative quickly. Yeah. And that when the bands when they offshooted into into either pop, you know, you had the bands that were becoming U two. Right. Yeah out of it we I mean, we sniffed around with that a little like ace ace is a little bit like that you know it's a uh, great closing song on this record yeah but you know what i mean we were sniffing yeah. around with that poppy side and or they became metal bands right. you know they became slayer or whatever that uh, it was it was like punk rock just ate itself <laughs> and then but i think punkers became real conservative yeah and so if you did anything different than what you had done before it was like you had committed a crime you sniffed around a bit of metal too i'd say on the well you don't mean hurting crew that's just for fun right i mean that's making a joke of metal that's why it's got the umlauts right (laughs) yeah this time for the cover art joe carducci did the cover art do you remember how that happened? yeah because it was his idea (laughs) oh okay baby milo was his idea what's next bill once this COVID stuff is out of the way, what can we look forward to for the Descendants besides these uh, these older tracks? That well, are we're out? working on we're working on a new album right now. We've recorded twenty eight song, songs, uh, at least partially. You know, because we all have our own little recording setups at our houses. But I've done drums on twenty eight, and I think 
Milo has sung on like 22 of those, and Stefan's played on about 18 of them. Wow. And Carl's played on about 15 of them. I've been recording Carl for the last two weeks. But then we got to write more and do another batch of drums, too, because I, I haven't finished my songs yet. I'm the, I am notorious latecomer. Right. I write my songs in the 11th hour, and I, it's not because of procrastination. It's just I've become, uh, I've become impossible to please, and I don't mean with my own songs. I mean with all music. Hmm. Like no music ever impresses me, and if you know, and and I and I feel like I should hold myself to the same standard I would hold those bands that I listen to. Hmm. So basically, I'm still futzing around with my songs until I think they're worth worth somebody spending the time to listen to them. Sometimes it takes me a long time. And Carl's still finishing some of his, too. But Stefan and Milo, man, they wrote a shit ton already. What you're describing right now, how does has that affected your, you know, your work as a producer and as an engineer? Oh, it's just, yeah, it's just tedious. I, I put these performers through hell like if you talk to let's say you talk to rise against or you know i use them because they're the most famous band i worked with right but yeah they'll tell you i just i just cannot be pleased i just it's got to be it's not even whether it's perfect it's not that kind of anal retentive kind of thing it's just you know dezo one time when i was real young dezo said to me he says to me you know bill if you can't blow yourself away, how are you going to blow anybody else away? <laughs> and I always took that to heart. If I'm not literally blown away where it's like taking my breath away, right? then I, then why bother with it? It's in my case, I think blown away usually means when it brings me to, to tears or to collapse, Yeah. then, then I know, well, okay, this is real. This is real. Cause I feel it. And anybody that hears it is going to know that it's real. There's not going to be any question of it, you know? Yeah. So that's what's up with us. We're going to, you know, hopefully we can fire up some shows once, once they get a handle on the COVID and, and we're, and we're working on this new record. And then also I got just putting, putting the finishing touches on this Frank and Tony thing. And I think I may have figured out a nice title for it yesterday, but I'm not going to tell you that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. It was so much fun going back and kind of editing those, the, doing a little post-production on those songs and mixing them. So much fun. It brought back so many memories of all those all those shows. And it was funny because I watched that Go-Go's documentary kind of in the middle of that time. Yeah. And that brought back all those memories of those old little shows of them and they, when they used to be, you know, when Go-Go's used to be a punk band. Right, yep. And it was so cool. Man, those are... <laughs> Those are special times. I can't think of how miserable I'd be without, without Frank and Tony and Milo. I would be, man, I would probably be like maybe an attorney or an accountant. I probably would still be a virgin. I mean, I just would, I would be a miserable person. Yeah. It must be really great listening to those old tracks then. So much fun. And it's like, so I, I, I remember I sent it or, or no, we were recording it in 2002, and I and I think maybe Jason was at the helm, you know, press and record. Or, and Stefan walked down the hall, you know, from being from being not there. Right. And he walks down the hall, and he peeks his head in the doorway, and he goes, "Sounds like Milo goes to college." <laughs> like he, I don't think 
you know, because he he obviously was a fan of the band before he joined it. Right. And I think he thought that Milo Goes to College was like a, a fluke or a record. But it's like that's just what happens when me and Frank and Tony play together. That's what it sounds like. Right. And so it tripped him out when he heard what we had recorded. He's like, oh, my God, that's just you guys. That's just what you guys are. Lightning in a bottle. <laughs> or I don't know if it's good or bad or lightning, but it's just us. Yeah. Frank always called it. He'd go, dude, I play Um Shaba and you play Booty Duty. He called Tony's bass Booty Duty. <laughs> booty Duty Duty Duty. You know, and yeah. he plays like Um Shaba, Um Shaba, Shaba, Um Shaba. And, and so he called it Um Shaba and the Booty Duty. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great place to leave it tonight too bill thanks so much for talking to me for so long tonight i really appreciate it i hope i wasn't too scatterbrained i i had a big old double espresso right before you <laughs> called me i hope it's not too scatterbrained sometimes no. it's fun it's fun to be that way when you're doing it but then when you listen back it's like wow what is wrong with that guy <laughs> no it's great bill thank you so much okay see ya. you you take care bye all right Awesome interview yet again. Thanks so much, Bill. What do you think about him talking about the Robo Beat, man? That that to me is like that's the rise above beat for sure. Hey, how the album starts? You mean? Yeah, yeah. That's it, man. For sure, I love that. I I that type of um, you know, commentary or insight into in terms of like the shift in the groove in black flag from like, you know, robo to post robo. Love that. Cause that, cause yeah. I mean, I, I now have an excuse to go back and listen to black flag again. <laughs> Interesting too, that he remembers playing good, good things, silly girl and ace instrumentally with black flag. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, eh? yeah. I can't imagine though. Like what would it sound like? with Gin playing guitar on those tracks. You can almost hear it on Ace, maybe. Perhaps. If perhaps. you listen to it with yep. that in mind. Yep. One thing he mentions, Ryan, is our friend Greg Cameron, who was in October Faction, SWA, Chemical People. Remember, he's the Nazi sex doctor from SWA? <laughs> of course. Right. So he was in, I guess, the Ascendance. So here's an answer to maybe your question that I got from Greg. He says, We never actually played any shows. We might have done a party in Tony's backyard, but that's a maybe. A bunch of the songs on the Tony All album are songs that I played with Tony and Ray long before Tony recorded them with Bill, Carl, and Stefan. That record, Ryan, for people who, who don't know, I'm assuming most people listening to this know, uh, he's talking about the album that came out on Cruise Records, Greg's, Greg Ginn's kind of side label in 1991. And their songs Tony Lombardo wrote between 1979 and 89. Uh, and it's the band all, including their vocalist at the time, Scott Reynolds and Tony Lombardo. Carl sings on a track, Scott sings on some, Tony sings on some. And it's great if if anybody out there hasn't heard the the Tony All record. New girl, old story. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. You can't you can't listen to, you know, all the descendants and all without the Tony All record. Can't. For sure. Yep. Okay, here's some more from Greg Cameron. I was actually living at Tony's house at that time. I had parted company with Greg Ginn at that point, 
I'd been sharing an apartment with him in Los Alamitos, thinking we were going to do a band together, but he was more interested in drum machines and having me program those in synthesizers. When I made it known that that, that wasn't really my thing, that was the end of that collaboration. As far as the I Don't Want to Grow Up album, I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time in the recording studio with them during that session, changing tape reels and stuff on the multi-track. Hmm. Here's a few other things I found. This is from that Filter magazine, Milo Turns 50, that I mentioned. And this is, the, this is Mike Watt interviewing them as well. Here's Bill. I look at Descendants in 83 and 84 as there were enough distractions from it that it was operating in a low gear, with or without Milo. When I left Black Flag, I tried to do, to do more Descendant stuff, and that's when we started practicing for Grow Up. We recorded with Dave Tarling, who was the engineer of late-period Black Flag records, and Ryan, as Bill points out in the interview, nervous breakdown. Yep. He was really fond of those 80s production trappings, and the record is polluted and corrupted with them. And here's what. Reverb on the kick drum and stuff. It's okay. It takes a lot of paths to get where we are now. I hear that on the last Minutemen record. They used to put that 80s Duran Duran reverb on the snare. Oh my God. Um, gated reverb. Yep. yep. I'm interested to hear your thoughts when we go through the tracks on that because I, I got some strong opinions about the production on some of the songs due to that. Okay, well, let's do it. History lesson, part two. All right, Ryan. Track one, side one. Descendants, kind of their theme song, lyrics by Tony, music by the band. This is just a classic track to open the record. Uh, the line couldn't sell out a telephone booth is just a classic line that I've borrowed many times over the years. Yeah, I bet you you yeah. have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can't listen to the song without doing the, when they say sacrifice, without doing the... God. Well, yeah, you have to do that. I don't have to. You have to. <laughs> this was written, I guess, to Bill from Tony. Just because you've gone away, here's a message from me and Ray. Classic, classic. Yep. Okay, track two, I Don't Want to Grow Up, written by Tony. Classic teen angst song. Uh, your suit can't hide the truth. Yeah, there's um, there's some commentary from Tony that I found about that track in terms of it's not so much about not wanting to grow up, but rather not wanting to grow up and being one of those adults that ends up being lame. So you can grow up as long as you're a cool adult. Yeah. As long as you stay swa. That's right. Okay. Track three, Pervert. Lyrics by Milo. Music by Tony. You can kind of see how this album came together quickly. Like Tony had obviously been writing. He has a lot of writing credits. I think six of the 14 songs plus Bill had five songs. Milo had three complete songs plus some lyrics for others. This is one of those ones where I have to do the, the liveage ad-libs. I'm a pervert. Coochie, coochie, coo. <laughs> yeah, it's Milo's lyrics about how he likes sex so much that he feels like a pervert. It's, it's one of those things where, like, if I'm playing this record at home, I have to skip past this track or else my wife and kids will hear it. <laughs> Yeah, I've always loved the turnaround in this song. That little, there's a word on my mind and the word is. That part's awesome. Yeah. 
Okay, track four, Rockstar, lyrics by Frank Nevetta, music by Tony. Quick little 37-second banger. Maybe one they played when Frank was still in the band, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's not something that would have taken long to work up, I don't think. No, I think it's Bill at the end going, hey, let's exploit rock and roll to its fullest potential. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, another Milo track, No FB. I, this is one song that I thought was pretty funny when I was 14 years old, No Fat Beaver. I know it more from the Hall Raker live album, though. It's got a Ramones vibe to it, for sure, for me. Track six, Can't Go Back, written by Bill. An overlooked gem from Bill. Really a pop song. Kind of has a 60s feel to it. Yeah, this is where the record switches gears. Like, when you listen to it in sequence, you're kind of like, oh, wait a second. And then there's more and more like this for the remainder of the record. Yeah, I've only always only had it on CD, so I don't really distinguish between the sides. So, Okay, track seven, GCF. More Ramones, but put through the Descendants filter. Kind of an anti-drug song, hence the title Good Clean Fun, written by Tony. Track eight, My World, written by Milo. This one's really great. It's kind of an anti-conformity song, feeling like you don't fit in anywhere. Yeah. One of my faves of kind of the non-hits. It's hard for me to think about some of these tracks without comparing them to the the super well-known hit songs. And then we end side one with Theme. I am a big fan, and I know you are too, Ryan, of the Descendants and all instrumentals. Oh, yeah. Ray's a great guitar player. Some of the chords and leads he plays kind of sound like they would maybe inform Stefan's playing later on. Yeah. Well, some of Ray's, like, Ray's tone is way different than Frank's. And and Ray's sound, some of it, I don't know if, if you thought this, but some of it is pretty darn muddy. It's almost like St. Vitus sounding guitar tone on this record for Ray Cooper. Yeah. All right, flip it over and we're getting to the good stuff. Opens with a classic, Silly Girl. This is one of those songs that just hits me right in the feels every time. Yeah, it's uh, it's a stone cold classic, and it just never gets old. And this is this whole side to some of these tracks, and I'll I'll mention it in a minute as well. But like Silly Girl, I can hear some of that production on it. I don't care. That's how yeah. this song sounds. It sounds awesome. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't. I don't care about the production on any of this record. Yeah, I wouldn't want them to like, remix it or anything like that or remaster it. Not I hate it when bands do that. Yeah. Or even worse, re-record it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what is great about this record, too, um, is you can really hear the bass on it. I love that part of the mix. You could on the previous recordings, too, the earlier ones, but on this one, it's really good in terms of the tone that uh, they've got on uh, Tony's bass. And the mix, it punches right through, right in the middle. It's great. Yeah. In Love This Way, written by Milo. This is like a jangle pop song. Milo really shows what a gifted singer he is on this track, as well as an underappreciated songwriter. Mm -hmm. Ends on a minor chord, which I'm always a sucker for. Yeah, there's no, he lost all of his raspiness in the vocals on this song. Yeah. 
Track three, Christmas Vacation, lyrics by Milo, music by Bill. More jangly pop. This sounds like some of the Paisley Underground bands, like maybe the Three O'Clock or something. Pretty underrated track. I'm planning, Ryan, on making myself a Spotify playlist with some of these songs and like side two of Enjoy and some of those killer tracks off of the All record, like Iceman and Pep Talk and Jealous of the World. Like the the really awesome songs that aren't on Somri? Is that your yeah. main move? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'll call the playlist, actually. Not on Somri? Awesome songs that aren't on Somri. <laughs> <laughs> uh, track four, Good Good Things. This is a top five Descendants track for me, written by Bill. It's just so, so great. It's two minutes and 22 seconds of absolute perfection, in my opinion. Yep, and for me... This is the one I wanted to call out. The production on this song only makes it better for me because it really gives it a like an intimate, almost eerie sound. The even the gated reverb, like it, it totally fits. That's yeah, what I, I, I agree. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, I wouldn't change a thing about this song. Not and. I'm really sorry for the problem Bill had at the time. He mentions in the interview that he, he had a problem that kind of was the impetus for a lot of these songs, including Now She's Black on Loose Nut. Right. Uh, but I'm grateful for the amazing songs that came out of it, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And then we end the album with another Bill song called Ace. Bill said in the interview that this was him sniffing around the poppy side of things, I think is how we put it. Mm -hmm. There's kind of three parts almost to this song of the verses, then kind of this amazing pre-chorus. And then just when you think it can't get any better, the chorus just hits you. It's kind of an epic. It's four minutes long. To me, it's the perfect closer for the record. When I read the lyrics, I'm wondering if, you know, Bill didn't kind of write this to himself almost. Yeah, maybe. It is written in the first person. It's hard to think of it uh, not about him. Yeah. It's a great song anyways. Oh, for sure. The artwork, Ryan. Carducci. It's an original Carducci. Yeah. So I asked Joe about that. He thinks maybe they were unable to get a hold of Roger to do, to do the, uh, the Milo. So he used a Sharpie and drew about eight of these in different variants and Bill picked one out. He said, the most interesting one is when my hand was cramping up, so I drew a quick, hard, angled sketch of Milo, which Bill got a real kick out of. And the Descendants' longtime art director, Chris Sherry, uh, shared some of the outtakes with us, never for, before seen, of Joe Carducci's outtakes. So we're going to be posting those on our Instagram. Right on. Yeah. And... Um, I was thinking about Chris Sherry. Wouldn't it be awesome if he did like an art book? Oh, yeah. Because of all the cool Milo t-shirt variants. Like oh, they do different art for every city they play Every city, in. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, right? Like he should do that. I would buy that. Yeah, I would too. Kind of, the, It's kind of got that um, Brian Walsby type vibe, like in a different way. Like they've got their own look, but that really customized for the for the city type yeah. of artwork i really like that the art on the back of this ryan i can't remember who drew these i think it might have been frank from the cover of ride the wild yep and then and then there's a milo added in yep 
What about dead wax, Ryan? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, want some dead wax? So it's interesting, like my copy, it's an SST copy. It has the New Alliance Records uh, numbers, NAR-026-A and B, scratched out on okay. this, okay? And then it's got SST-143, and then here's the dead wax on it. It says on side one, 50-50 is really nifty. Okay. I think that's a poop reference. <laughs> if I'm remembering uh, from Enjoy, there's some 50-50 talk on Enjoy. Okay. I think it's 50-50 has something to do with shit. Okay. Well, maybe this will solve the riddle for you. I don't think so, but maybe. Side <laughs> two says 70-40 with a couple... 10 left over for Bill. Hmm. No, that doesn't help me at all. No, didn't think so. Oh, actually, the New Alliance uh, piece here is not scratched out on side B. It's only scratched out on side A, this pressing. Hmm. I couldn't find any info on the pressings, like which one is this? If it's a 87 or a 90, I don't know. But it has the dead wax, thank goodness. Okay, ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. So we did this once way, way back, Brant, for a Minuteman, and we did one, two, three, go ballot result. Can we <laughs> can we try it here and see? Well we'll do let's do it backwards though. Three, two, one. Okay. okay. Count us down. Three, two, one. Good, 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 good thing. things. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There you go. There's other good songs on here like Descendants is awesome. Uh, Ace is really outstanding. My World theme is a favorite of mine, actually. Silly Girl, obviously. In Love This Way by Milo. I don't want to grow up. Yeah. I I love that song. When I, I, I was in a crappy band way back when, and my band opened up for All and Killdozer. And uh, nice. when, and Chad Price was on vocals. I think this is the Pummel Tour. And they got like to the end of the all set and they did all of a sudden Carl started playing the, I don't want to grow up song. That's, that's a lifelong memory. And that song is always sure. good, to, good for me uh, for that reason in particular. Yeah. Right on. Hey, thanks to Bill for being a, a guest and doing s such a great interview with us. Yeah, no doubt. Real treat. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, is SST 144, the Descendants bonus fat. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.